Thanks for tuning in to the Heartland Message Podcast. Feel free to reach out with any questions and visit us online at weareheartland.us to find out more about all of our ministries and upcoming events. All right, well, welcome to week two of our series, Calm. Our team, as we processed uh, everything going on in our country and our world, thought there is no better time uh, in our nation's history, in our world's history, to talk about calm, that we all could use a little more calm in our lives. So we're looking at a passage that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, 2,000 years ago, it was the first church established on the European continent. Uh, it comes to us from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. So the whole scripture we're studying for this series reads like this. Uh, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So as we walk through these verses, we're going to take uh, each week and study uh, a different section of this particular passage that Paul wrote. Uh, And each week there's a different letter to kind of help us remember the message of this entire verse. And luckily the acronym uh, of these four words that we're looking at spell out CALM. Uh, No, we did not write that. Uh, We actually uh, were inspired for this series by a book entitled Anxious for Nothing by author and pastor Max Lucado, which I cannot recommend enough. Uh, I encourage you to order it or uh, not pick it up. I guess we can't do that. Order it or digitally have it delivered uh, ASAP so you can join us and follow along with this series. But it's the perfect acronym at the perfect time uh, for us to get a little more calm. I actually wanted to do the four weeks on uh, divine upbeat, miraculous, and belief, but that acronym didn't quite work out the same, so we we trashed that. Anyway, uh, last week, John kicked us off with part one of this scripture and taught about celebrating. The C in, in our acronym column stands for celebrating, that even in the midst of stress or anxiety, we can choose to celebrate and in that overcome our stress and anxiety and gain a little bit more calm. And this week, we are literally going to study one sentence, a single sentence that's contained in verse six of Philippians 4 that says this. Here is our verse for this week. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. This verse starts with the command, do not be anxious about anything, which is important because, man, we could all benefit from a little or a lot less anxiety or stress in our lives between work and school and homework and parenthood and dating and finances and quarantine and social distancing, the fear we're going to run out of toilet paper or things to watch on Netflix. It feels like our lives were just made for us to be anxious all the time. And even statistically, this is true. As John mentioned last week, we are living in the most stress-filled nation during the most stress-filled time in all of history. Ironically, we have all that we could possibly need and more at our fingertips. The ease of which we can connect with people across the globe. The ease at which we can get something delivered to our front door or find answers to a question that we have has never been faster. And yet, tens of millions of Americans, including adults, teenagers, and Christians, experience moderate to extreme levels of anxiety on a daily basis. 
Not only that, but add on top of it these extremely unique circumstances we are currently living in, which lifts our stress level even higher. We are in desperate need of some calm. Paul's words written 2,000 years ago are extremely timely, that not only applied then, but prophetically speak to us right now in our lives to not be anxious for anything. Now, I will say, uh, when Paul starts out this command, verse 6, where he says, do not be anxious about everything, uh, it, it seems a little simplistic, right? Like if you were sitting in a, in a therapist's office and you just, man, I'm just dealing with so much stress, so much and anxiety, I'm not sure how to deal with it, and, and they were like, well, just don't be. I don't think many of us would stand up and go, you're right, I'm cured, here's $200, thank you. Like that's, it seems a little simplistic the way that Paul starts. But fortunately for us, the rest of this sentence contains four steps for us to not be anxious about anything. As John mentioned last week, stress and anxiety, not only is it not a sin to feel these things, it's also not something we can avoid. Stressful situations are going to happen in our lives, many times on a daily basis. Things will not always go as planned or expected. There will be disruption, uncertainty, and pain. We will experience anxiety, which is why Paul, writing this, gives us these four steps in order to overcome our anxiety and instead experience calm. So today, we're going to walk through those four points. So here we go. Point number one that Paul says in order to not be anxious about anything, number one is prayer. The first thing God tells us to do in order to uh, overcome our anxiety, our stress, to experience calm is to pray. He says in every situation to pray. Now many people are intimidated a little bit by prayer. They think it needs a bunch of big spiritual words or it needs to go on for hours. It might require special robes or hats. You think you have to be in like a quiet place with some sort of incense or something velvet that you can prostrate yourself on. You know, they think you have to have your eyes closed, hands clasped, head bound or turns upwards towards heaven and then, you know, then maybe God will accept our prayer. But here's some, just a quick tidbit. None of those things are in Scripture. Not, not one of those things that you might think, oh, I have to do X, Y, and Z to pray. Not one of those things is listed in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself demonstrated prayer in a lot of different ways. He demonstrated praying outside while standing up in a big group of people with his eyes open. At one point when Jesus was teaching about prayer in Matthew 6, this is what he says. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus himself tells us directly, hey, don't make your prayers too long. How many friends or pastors would you like to send that specific verse to? Especially the friend who spends way too long praying, like right after your hot meal came, you know what I'm saying, at your lunch or dinner, and they're like, let me pray. And you're like, that's a great idea. And then it's going on for 20, 30 minutes, and I'm like, dude, my mac and cheese is ruined. Now it's just a brick of cheese. Anyway, so send that verse to the, your, that friend. Be like, let's have lunch. FYI, don't babble, okay, like the pagans do. Prayer is actually quite simple based on what we study in Scripture. The truth about prayer, it is that simple. A, a conversation with our Heavenly Father. At its core, the definition of prayer simply means ask. In fact, that is our letter this week as we spell out calm is ask. The definition, the core of what it means to pray is simply to ask. And it's very important for us to understand prayer in the context of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
Prayer is not us trying to appease an angry, distant, judgmental God who may or may not listen depending on how many times we've sinned that day or if we've donated to a nonprofit within the past month. Prayer is a conversation with our loving Heavenly Father. God loves us as his children, and as we know, something that children are very good at doing is asking, constantly asking. Can I have dinner? Can I have dessert? Can I have dessert for dinner? Will you play with me? Will you carry me? May I watch the iPad? May I watch the TV? May I watch your phone? Can I stay up late? Can I have a car? Can I have your car? Can I have some money? Can I have more money? Can my friends come sleep over? Where do babies come from? Kids just ask constantly. Kids are asking their parents for something all the time, especially during this time as we are quarantined, we're doing homeschooling. It's just like a constant ask fest in our home. My son, Phoenix, who's four years old, he's like, he asks for a lot of things. He's really good at asking for a lot of dinners. Not a lot of dinner, like not a lot of food for his dinner, but he just kind of has this order where it's like, you know, it's like, will you make me, uh, so what do you want for dinner, buddy? He goes, may I have mac and cheese? Great. Do the pan thing with the butter. It's all good. It's great. Put it in front of me. He goes, I don't want that anymore. Uh, can you make me peanut butter and jelly? It's like, well, I just, uh, okay, all right, well, we'll save that. Okay, yeah, make peanut butter and jelly. Make that. He's like, no, I don't really want that anymore. Uh, could you make me nuggets? And I'm like, okay, but yeah, but I just, you know. So by the time, I make it three whole dinners because he's asked, and then he takes two bites of the nuggets, and he's like, I'm full. I'm not hungry. Can I have a popsicle? So he is really, really good at asking for things and then just asking for more things. But kids are good at asking, and our Heavenly Father, through Paul in this passage, we are told to pray. He tells us to pray, to ask our Heavenly Father. Much like a child would ask their parent for something that they want or something that they need, God says, hey, when you are stressed, when you are anxious, step number one is to pray, to ask me. Jesus even teaches about this in Luke 11. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our heavenly Father, God, wants to bless us. He wants to give to us. And he says, hey, simply ask me. God desires to bless us, and so step number one in overcoming our anxiety, our stress, is to pray, is to ask our heavenly Father. Step number two in the scripture is to petition as Paul says, in everything with prayer and petition. Now, petition is an important word because petitioning for something goes way beyond simply asking for it. Petition takes prayer to another level entirely because it's not simply asking, it's asking with persistence. It's asking with energy. It's asking with drive. It's asking with emotion. There is an energy and a desperation now to our prayer that we're not simply asking for something, we are petitioning God for it. And on this note, I want to talk about a concept, uh, a word uh, from God's people, the Jewish people that plays into this. Oftentimes when we think of asking God for something, we might think we have to do so in a very respectful, very humble, very lowly manner. We have to use a lot of like, I'm sorry's and pleases, and if it's not too much troubles, Lord, this would be great. And of course, yes, our hearts, you know, for sure should be in a place of humility, absolutely, when approaching our Heavenly Father. But here's the truth I want us to understand. God is 100% completely okay with and even responds to boldness. 
The word I want to teach you today is the word chutzpah. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor, friend, or family member, or if you're alone, turn to a mirror and say chutzpah. Good. If you're spitting on, on somebody, that means you're doing it right. Chutzpah. It's fun to say. Chutzpah. All right. So chutzpah is a, a word from the Jewish people that's been around for the, you know, thousands of years. Uh, it's actually a Yiddish word that's known among all the Jewish people, and it's, a, it's difficult to find an exact English translation for it, but the closest synonyms that we have for the word chutzpah include uh, impudence, gall, audacity, insolence, nerve, effrontery, guts, presumption, and arrogance. This sums up chutzpah. One classic chutzpah joke tells of a grandson playing on the beach when a huge wave comes and sweeps him under into the ocean. His horrified grandmother shrieks and says, Oh Lord, I can't bear to live without him. Send him back to me. Just then the grandson miraculously washes upon land unharmed. The grandmother grabs him by the arm, looks at him, brushes him off, and then looks up at the sky and yells, He had a hat! That's a chutzpah joke. But this is what chutzpah looks like, is a courage, a boldness, a brash confidence in asking our Heavenly Father for things with boldness. And this is littered throughout Scripture. The men and women of Scripture, God's people, had chutzpah. Chutzpah is Abraham arguing with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Chutzpah is Moses, Moses asking God multiple times to curb his anger towards the Israelites after they had sinned against him. Chutzpah is David telling King Saul that he would go fight the giant Goliath and then going to fight the giant Goliath. Chutzpah is Esther asking the king to save her entire people. Chutzpah is Mary, Jesus' mother, going through with a marriage nobody in society approved of, raising her son and following him literally to the cross. Chutzpah is Peter telling Jesus that he believes he is the Messiah, declaring his devotion to him. Chutzpah is Jesus asking God to find another way to redeem mankind in the Garden of Gethsemane. Chutzpah is Paul multiple times preaching the message of Jesus in front of the Roman authorities and leaders. Chutzpah is the disciples and the apostles preaching the gospel message in the face of torture and death, which all but one of the disciples died for doing. God's people are filled with chutzpah. Even today, when you walk around uh, Jerusalem or you walk around the Holy Land, you can tell there is a confidence to the Jewish people. It's almost a, a swagger that they have in their attitude and the way that they carry themselves. Some perceive it as arrogance or brash behavior, but it is so much deeper than that. And here's the question. Why do God's people have this kind of boldness? Why do they have this chutzpah? Why do they have this quality? And the answer is this, and this is important. Because they know who they are, and they know whose they are. They are the chosen people of Jehovah God, and they belong to him. And from knowing that comes a great deal of wonderful, wonderful confidence and courage. One writer calls chutzpah the arrogance of belonging. But rather than self-absorption or egotism, it is a kind of arrogance knowing who they are and whose they are. They are God's people and they belong to him and so do we. It's hard to be anxious when we know who and whose we are. Because instead of anxiousness or stress, suddenly we experience a confidence, a deep down confidence that cannot be rattled by outside circumstances. And it is with this confidence that we can come before God to petition him 
with what we're asking of him. Jesus gives a very poignant and perfect example of this kind of petitioning with chutzpah in a parable that he told in Luke 11. Uh, Jesus says, then teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever he needs because of your shameless persistence. Now think about the message of this parable. This is intense. If I'm reading this correctly, it's saying that God might answer our prayers simply because we don't stop asking him. God might not respond to what I'm asking for in the time that I want or the way that I want, yet according to this parable, if I just keep on knocking, if I have chutzpah and am petitioning him nonstop, God will respond. In fact, the next thing Jesus says right after this parable in Luke 11, he says, this is why I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That is petitioning God. That is praying and petitioning with boldness, with courage, with chutzpah. Another final thought on petitioning prayer that I do want to mention that I think is important uh, is the idea of gathering multiple people around us to surround us and pray for the same thing. You know, nowadays when when we think of a petition, we think of, uh, you know, a bunch of signatures, a bunch of people wanting to sign something in order for, you know, people in authority to take notice. Look at how many people have signed this petition. And I think the same is true of prayer. That there is a power, there's a significance when we gather people around us to pray for the same thing. I just recently signed the petition for Wisconsin to open the golf courses, which I'm so glad that they did. I mean, golf is like the perfect sport to play in social distancing, right? It's like you're not really near each other, especially me. I'm usually off in the trees. That and like tennis are the only two. But anyway, so I'm glad. So good job, Wisconsin. It was because of our petition that they opened that. Anyway, in the same way, I believe when we petition God for something by gathering people around us and say, will you pray this with me? Again, according to this parable, according to the words of Jesus, when it comes to prayer, God will respond. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about this, uh, gathering people to petition with us. He says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So in the face of anxiety, in the face of stress, in the face of uncertainty, not only are we to pray, but we are to pray with chutzpah. We are to pray petitioning God with our requests. The third thing that Paul says in this chapter, or in this verse in Philippians, uh, is that we need to have thanksgiving. Not the, not the holiday. That's important to celebrate too. But uh, Paul said step number three is we need to have thankful hearts. Now for more on this, I encourage you to check out uh, John's message from last week as he talked about celebration. But suffice it to say, for this passage here, as Paul is talking about not being anxious about anything, as we approach God, we need to do so with hearts of gratitude. Not hearts of greed or demanding, but simply hearts of gratitude. Because regardless of if and when God answers our prayer, regardless of if it's what we want or have asked for, the truth is that every good and perfect gift still comes from the Lord. 
Every breath we take, every scent we have, every relationship we have that brings us joy and love and support, the roof over our head, no matter if we own it or rent it or are a guest, is a gift from God. And so as we pray, as we petition, as we ask, we do so with thankful hearts. And the fourth one that Paul says is that we present our requests to God. We ask, we petition, all while being thankful, and then we simply surrender it to the Lord. I'm not going to spend much time here because actually this is a, a, a part of the passage we're going to dig into uh, real deeply next week. So it kind of overlaps with what we're going to study next week. So I'm not going to say a ton about that, but make sure you tune in next week to hear uh, the continuation. So there it is, the four steps uh, all contained in one sentence that Paul teaches us that to be anxious about nothing, we pray, we petition with thankful hearts, we surrender, we submit our requests to God. Now, um, if I'm being completely honest with you, uh, when John and I were figuring out the schedule for this teaching series and these, this particular subject came up about prayer, uh, I was originally not going to teach about it. In fact, I didn't want to teach about it. I distinctly remember uh, about two months ago having a conversation with Linz, Lindsay, my wife, and saying, uh, just based on everything going on in our lives, I said, I don't think I could confidently teach on prayer or on miracles just based on everything that we're experiencing. For those of you that might not know, on August 22nd, uh, this past summer, our daughter Ava, who was seven at the time, uh, had a totally fluke accident. She fell off a golf cart, slow-moving golf cart in our neighborhood and hit her head and suffered a traumatic brain injury. Uh, she was rushed to the hospital. Uh, there was such significant damage, she, she should have died. There were three moments where she should have medically died and miraculously has not died. She is still with us and has been taking steps of healing all along the way. But uh, the first night, I remember first night in the hospital, I was in the fetal position in the PICU waiting room, and I uh, prayed that God would heal her. I prayed that God would 100% restore my little girl to the, everything she was before the accident and more. I prayed this based on what I've read in scripture. I, I prayed this based on who I knew God to be. I prayed this based on the calling that I believe he had placed on Ava's life. Uh, it was something, of course, I desperately wanted, you know, selfishly, but also something that Lindsay and I throughout this process have felt God speak to us. Uh, in addition, we have heard from uh, countless people from around the world who have felt God um, uh, impressing upon them the exact same thing, that Ava will be healed. There have been people who have, wonderful people, some of you may be watching, who have sent us uh, dreams about this, visions, uh, uh, stories of people who have been healed themselves, all confirming our belief that God will completely heal Ava all for his glory. Uh, we have often asked the Lord, uh, I have at least, to say, Lord, if, if you're not going to heal her, if this is not your plan, I am asking you to release kind of this sense and this, this uh, impression that you've given to keep praying for her full heal healing, because if you're not going to heal her, Lord, I just want to embrace, you know, the path that you have. But so far, God has not uh, let us let go of that. Um, as I said, she has experienced uh, many, many miraculous moments of healing. In fact, just her life, the fact that she is alive and doing as well as she is right now, uh, one doctor said it's mildly shocking, which was a great term that we love. And yet, um, she is still not anywhere close to the little girl that she was before. She's not anywhere close to the healing that I believe and still praying, petitioning that God is going to give Ava. Again, uh, as I read scripture, I see account after account of Jesus doing this uh, time and time again. 
of people unable to walk suddenly leaping up because they are healed. People who have been blind since birth suddenly able to see. Someone who had been dead for days suddenly walking out of their tomb. And that is the prayer that myself and Lindsay and and tens of thousands of, of others of you as we've brought those uh, uh, and God has brought those to petition with us. Some of you watching, thank you so much, have been praying this prayer since 5.45 p.m. on August 22nd, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I called uh, John as I'd been sitting with this topic and I said, hey man, I, I really think I would love to talk about it, but I said, I, you'll need to know that when I teach on prayer, I won't be able to put like the bow on top or the cherry on top at the end because we are in the middle of this prayer. Prior to Ava's accident, I probably would have ended this teaching with an inspiring story of someone who had been healed after somebody prayed for them for a long, long time. I would have cited moments in scripture when the Lord answered bold prayers, petitioning prayers. But at this point, I'm currently living in the middle ground um, that at times is incredibly painful, incredibly stressful, uh, constantly hovering between confident faith and uh, stressful doubt. Uh, and because of this, I, I want to talk about a concept I've taught on before. I've talked about this before, but this is just, uh, I've experienced new meaning to this concept over these past eight months. Uh, to do so, I'm going to jump back, way back in Scripture, if you're following along, jump back to the book of Genesis, chapter 32. Um, this is a seemingly random, but like history-altering moment that happens between God and Jacob. Jacob uh, is one of the founding fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's father, uh, Jacob who stole his brother's birthright. Uh, this was a moment when Jacob was actually on his way to reconcile with Esau, reconcile with his brother, which they did. This is Genesis 32, beginning in uh, verse 24. Uh, it says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. There's some more chutzpah right there. The man said, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Now, I don't know if this was a, a, a common thing in the desert for a dude to show up and you're like, what's up? I don't know. You, you want to wrestle? Yeah, let's wrestle. Let's get to, I don't know if that was a thing that happened. But uh, this happens in the story. And Jacob apparently can hold his own, not only wrestling this guy, but his, his hip is dislocated. And he keeps wrestling this guy, you know, demanding a blessing, asking for a blessing. Now, this story is important because this is the moment when God, who was, who was wrestling, uh, changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And this, of course, as we know, is the name of God's chosen people and has been since that moment. The nation of Israel that God birthed through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name became Israel, their name doesn't mean uh, great nation or God's chosen people or sorry I broke your hip. doesn't mean any of that. The name Israel means to wrestle with God, to struggle with God. At their core, God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, approach their relationship with God knowing that in their name, they're going to wrestle with him. They're going to struggle with him. 
There will be moments and seasons and years of doubt and pain and uncertainty, of questioning and asking and begging and waiting and waiting and waiting, of struggle. And this has been the case for the Jewish people for thousands of years. All throughout scripture, those who had chutzpah wrestled with God. Abraham wrestled with God when he prayed and didn't have a son until he was 100 years old. Moses wrestled with God, not wanting to go with Egypt, to Egypt and fulfill his calling. David wrestled with God time and time again. Read Psalm 13 or 77 or 88. Paul wrestled. When God told him to eat foods that he knew were unclean, God still said go and eat. Jesus wrestled with God moments before going to the cross in the garden, pleading with God for there to be another way. God's people wrestle with him. It is literally in their name. Now this concept is one that we as uh, Western American Christians might not really love because the truth about wrestling with God is that there is tension and we don't really like tension. We want things to go smoothly, efficiently. We want everything, everybody to be okay. We want comfort, we want easy. We don't want conflict or friction in any way. We don't like the idea of tension. However, when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to the life that he has called us to live, according to the name of his people, which we are grafted into and part of his family, part of his inheritance, part of his children, there will be wrestling. There will be struggle. However, when you think about it, nothing good comes without struggle. Women struggle through childbirth in order to receive one of the most amazing gifts in a child. Couples struggle through counseling and working through difficult issues in order to experience a better marriage than they thought possible. People struggle to run more miles or lift more weights in order to be able to run farther and lift more the next time. We were made to get stronger when we struggle. Not only that, but wrestling is very intimate. Uh, It's very personal. It's very one-on-one. And so in order to wrestle with God, we have to be close to him. It might might not feel good, uh, it might not be pleasant, it might be painful, difficult, but as we wrestle with God, not only are we close to him, not only are we growing, but we are experiencing him in a way that we can't otherwise. Wrestling is uncomfortable, it's messy, it's painful at times, but it also means God's arms are wrapped around us as we struggle, as we question, as we ask, as we wait, as we process, as we doubt. And during these past eight months, um, I've experienced uh, struggling with God just in ways I've never have before. Um, Questioning, asking, waiting, doubting, anger, frustration, wanting to run away. Uh, I have set up camp in this tension of wrestling with God. Uh, And I've not gotten an answer yet. Aside from, you know, we talk about when we pray, God has three answers. It's yes, no, or wait. He continues to say wait, which is almost worse than no. It's not, but he continues to say wait. And so we just stay in this tension. Now, uh, I've experienced hope and peace in incredible ways, which I want to talk about more next week. So again, love for you to tune in for kind of part two next week. But as I said, we have been living in this tension. We've been living smack dab in the tension between ask and answered. Um, I don't know the end of our story. I don't know the end of Ava's story. But for right now, I'm just going to keep asking. I'm just going to keep petitioning. I'm just going to continue with a thankful heart. But as I teach today this, this teaching to all of you about prayer, I still have so many questions. Why did Jesus heal people instantly through his ministry 
but not Ava yet. I, I don't know. Why did the Lord miraculously keep Ava alive three times if she was just going to remain like 1% of the full girl and personality and spark and fire that I know she is? I don't know. Why does God miraculously heal some people around the world but not others? I don't know. Will praying more make a difference or has God already made up his mind and Ava's future is chosen whether it's healed or not healed? I don't know. Is there something else I need to start doing or stop doing in order for God to answer yes? I don't know. Am I being ignorant and narrow-minded to believe in the undeniably heal, miraculous healing of Ava despite what every you know, thing in medicine and scans and doctors say? I, I don't know. I, I, a thousand more, I don't know. Uh, but what I do know, and what I've said since day one, um, that regardless of my circumstances, my emotions, my doubt, regardless of this tension of my, my anger and my pain, three things still remain true, and they were as true on August 21st as they are today, which is God is present, God is good, and God is working. I cannot deny those three things. Even when I can't feel his presence, even when I doubt he's going to answer or answer the way that I want, God is still present, God is still good, and God is still working. And according to this passage, according to what Paul writes in Philippians, in order to not let anxiousness or stress or this tension overcome me, I'm going to pray, I'm going to petition with courage and with boldness with as many people as are willing to join me. I'm going to have a thankful heart for all the miracles we've seen so far and the continuous uh, thousands of every, day, uh, every moment gifts that God gives me. And I'm going to continue to surrender this request to God. And even through that, even you know, every day, it just might be a minor shift. I can tell you, I have experienced calm, um, peace uh, through uh, just a horrific circumstance that God has given me calm through following these four steps. In, a, in his book, Anxious for Nothing, Max Lucado says, the contagiously calm person is the one who reminds others God is in control. So for those of you who maybe like me are between ask and answered, you're living in this tension where you're praying, you're petitioning, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. If I can encourage you to say, keep going, keep praying, keep petitioning, keep being thankful, keep, keep submitting, keep surrendering. Because as we wrestle with God, he is close, and it's painful, but it's making us stronger. And there will be a day when I and you can tell the end of the story. It might not be exactly what we're picturing now, but we can look back and say, look at all that God did. And again, I, I encourage you, please join us next week because I, I also am excited to talk about uh, the many, many wonderful things God has done through this story, including a calm, a peace in me and my family I just would have never thought possible. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> thank you for your words through Paul. These words um, written thousands and thousands of years ago in a completely different culture, completely different time in history, and yet so unbelievably pinpoint accurate for this day in 2020. 
Father, I uh, just want to say a special prayer for anybody listening or watching this that finds themselves in this tension between asking and answered, in this tension of wrestling with you with questions and doubt and uncertainty. I pray in Jesus' name you would give them peace. You would give them calm. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us continuous uh, courage and boldness and confidence in who we are and whose we are to keep asking you, our Father in heaven who longs to bless us, who loves us, who has a plan and a purpose that we can't even imagine. And that someday we'll be able to tell the end of our story. But for now, Lord, we know that you are present, that uh, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with us. God, that you are good, that you can use any situation for the good of those who love you according to your purposes and that you are working. So Lord, as, as Max Lucado wrote in his book, God, we, we confidently surrender to you because you are in control. There is a God and it is not us. And so Lord, we surrender to you as we continue to ask and petition with thankful hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.